What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> <laughs>
seems to be in a state of permanent serious flux. You got your Spurs who are facing a really big shift in philosophy and probably preparing for, you know, one of the biggest handovers in NBA history, you know, if and when Pop starts to plan to go, right? You've got Celtics with new, you know, quote unquote, new leadership and new style trying to, you know, they're, they're in flux. Uh, the Pacers are in radical flux. The, the Pelicans are in flux. Like there's so many of these clubs who are trying to compete, but there's just, they don't know, they don't have an identity yet. So I think that's also pretty unique as well. I think that although I probably in general, the general managers in the league are better than they were probably say 10 years ago when you had Vlade getting fleeced every third week um, or, um, you know, uh, who was the, um, who was the GM of Minnesota? Oh, Khan. <laughs> David Khan <laughs> or Dell Demps and, you know, getting fleeced down there. Like, you know, most of the front offices are pretty competent these days. But my point was, I think there's a lot of organizations just looking at this and saying, hey, there's not a lot of cap space next year. Our organization needs a shakeup. I need to, you know, at least fill a hole or two here. So, and, and um, yeah, just a lot of churn. There's a high volume to get through Daz. But, uh, yeah, well, well, I think, I think yeah, it's an- social media too, Daz, puts a little bit extra pressure on some of those GMs and they feel the pressure of, you know, maybe they're reading some of the fan blogs. I um, mean, heaven forbid if uh, anyone from the Bucks ever gets on Bucks Twitter, um, they'd, be, they'd be very panicky. Uh, although maybe not so much this year, but certainly last year. I mean, do you feel like that plays a part? I saw, I saw the sense that it does with some of these front officers. Look, I think there's a, you know, when we, we talk about the factors of what, make a good organization you know fan involvement is a factor right there's there's no question I mean, there's no denying that um it's probably a bad example because it's it's daryl moray but there's no denying that the pressure you know from philadelphia fans is real right it, there's no denying that that you know that um there's there's just media markets and fan bases that you know will support through thick and thin like God rest, God bless them. The Sacramento Kings fan base, or even the, the Indiana Pacers fan bases that will endure kind of through thick and thin, just because they love their teams and they're kind of a one-team town. But yeah, there's definitely there's definitely noise. Um, you know, Mavericks fans don't want to wake up every day and hear about Doncic, you know, frustrated with or and you know not not playing playing nice with and. Um, you're not gelling with Kristaps Porzingis, that, that weighs on you. It's, it's frustrating for a fan base. So, yeah, look, whether they're on Twitter or not, but I think there's undeniable that there's... Well, it's a new storyline, isn't some it? Sort of- it's almost a new storyline, particularly somewhere like Dallas. Oh, and I don't think they moved the needle at all, but it's like, you, you know, Porzingis and, and Doncic isn't going to work long-term. You've probably seen enough of that. So let's, let's kill that character off, if you like, if we put it into the the television landscape and then let's bring in those two new characters and see if that that creates a bit more engagement and can send us in a different direction i think we all have to um at least hold our breath but it's undeniable that dallas mavericks are playing differently and playing dare i say really strong team defense does and kids kids made a difference right let's let's be honest recall they're they're playing very very differently and I think the X's and O's absolutely played a part in that where Zinger just cannot switch, right? And he's he's almost too slow to play drop. And he's he's basically become, you know, Lowry Markinen with with bad knees. And so I think 
in the defense first um, mode that kids got them playing down there, getting quite aggressive, that he's just a terrible, terrible fit. And of course, the fact that he and he and Luca don't really get along, they coexist, but they don't never really gel, did they, Daz? I think that's got as much to do with it, probably even more so than it does have to do well, with Well, I think apparently you know, the, the acquisition of it was better this year. I mean, I will say this about kid. If they, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to win the title or anything like that. And they're, and they're probably headed for another first round exit, maybe get to the second round, but it's not going to be because of kid. I mean, I, I think kids done a reasonable job there and this, and to your point, I think they're certainly playing a lot harder on D and a lot more effectively on defense than I would have, would have thought, but you're also now bringing in two guys that aren't known for their defense. I mean, Bertans just literally cannot play defense because the guy has no lateral movement. He's done his knee twice um, uh, with the ACL injuries and the sort of, you know, the white version of Jabari Parker, if you like those. Um, and then you've got the Dimwitty, who's never going to be known for his lockdown defense either. So from that point of view, it kind of just felt like this is a deal we can do. Let, let's wait and sort of like, because I don't know, there would have been too many buyers for Porzingis out there anyway. Uh, and let's just see if we can make this work and maybe we can pivot again in the off-season, um, depending on how the next few months play out. Yeah, look, that's a fair point. I, the, you don't acquire Dinwiddie and, and Bertans to shore up your defence. What it more does is allows you just the opportunity not to play Porzingis, right? He's either hurt, but it was in, he's in there. It's hard not to play him 30 minutes a night. So you reduce... You get Zinger out of there and you can go smaller and play, you know, a pick and pop with Powell a lot more. You can play uh, Maxi Cleaver, who's, you know, a decent player. And I think it allows them to play smaller, smaller and faster. And Dinwiddie, I think, is one of those sneaky good picks, Daz, where he's obviously still coming back from ACL reconstruction, having a really inefficient season. But, you know, he's holding up physically. So I think that's actually pretty good. Actually, a little buy low candidate, Daz. I think you'll see Dinwiddie perhaps as a that might be an insurance policy for for Brunson who's a um, a free agent. I forget which version if he's unrestricted or restricted, but I think that could be a, a sneaky good pickup if he's kind of back to full health. You know, year two after recovery, that's, that's actually not a bad pairing. Well, um, it also allowed them, it allowed them to extend Finney Smith, which they wanted to do. Uh, as well, so once they were able, to, once they did that trade, they immediately went and extended uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, who's been. Oh, did that? I didn't notice that. Oh, that's right. right. So that that was sort of part of the transaction, if you like, um, to move Zinger out, extend Finney-Smith, bring Dinwiddie and, and Bertans in, um, and theoretically, look, Bertans will be good on good on on offensive if he his shot back. Uh, there'll be plenty of space around Luca, but the defensive end, uh, he, he'll be found wanting as he has throughout his NBA career to date. So, um, but it's certainly an interesting uh, team to look at, I think, from that point of view, Daz, of, you know, why, why are they sort of making the moves that they make? And I think that's probably a good way to look at some of these uh, transactions rather than trying to necessarily project what's happening on the court. We can watch that for ourselves uh, as, as time mm. goes on. Uh, and on the Washington side of that, I think it's a perfectly reasonable uh, trade for them to make, see if they can keep Pozingas on the court. Um, it's not that he's been playing that terrible, really. Uh, to, I mean, again, to your point, uh, his defence hasn't been fantastic, but um, he's not 
uh, his offensive game has actually been pretty good, um, certainly this year and, and even at times last year. So it's fair enough. What Washington, Bradley Beal shut down for the season anyway. So they're probably now going back in the tank mode. They got rid of Montrez Harrell as well. So I'm not sure they're going to be winning too many more games this year. So they'll go back into the draft lottery and then see what they have when Pazingas and, and Beal are both back healthy and playing in next year. So an interesting move um, from the Wizards as well. I mean, did you have any sort of takeaway? ways from the wizard side of that transaction i think it's dangerous to do takeaways for the wizards organization um as it's uh, i talk about an organization in, in constant flux is i think that's um for me it feels like they should have should have pulled the trigger on beal a year and a half ago when he had peak peak value and had a james harden like package you know and could have had stacks of first round picks to build around, I think there's no question that they've they've completely missed the timing. Well, um, I don't think they the most... knew what they had with Beal. I mean, the, the question on Beal was, can he be a number one? Well, and then that... going and trying to build around John Wall and try to keep him with Russ Westbrook, it's just ridiculous. Like, I well, just, and that's yeah. it. And then I think, you know, with Beal, it was like, if we can get another star, is that, is that going to lift us up? And I just don't think Beal's good enough. And Beal's been... You know, now, whether Beal was carrying an injury this year and that explains the sort of play that was a little bit down because they started so well this year and they sort of won a few games they probably shouldn't have won, so they pulled a few out of their backsides and you went, well, hang on, they've got a good record. Yes, it's a little bit lucky, but Bradley Beal's playing like, you know, by his standards, a lot below where, what expectations would have been. So once he sort of finds his feet, this team could be a top four team in the East with some other teams that were sort of dropping off in those early days. And I think we pose the question here, you know, who's for real? Is it Chicago? Is it Washington? Is it Cleveland? Is it Charlotte? And sort of, I think we landed more on the Chicago side of things, but I wouldn't have thought Washington would have fell away this badly, partly because I expected Bradley Beal to start playing better and he just never got going this year. And again, whether that's because of the injury uh, or whether that's just because, you know, he, he's, well, it's hard to say that he would have started the downward slide in his career, but, you know, whether he's just not as good as maybe he was cracked up to be. Uh, and the fact that he, he won the scoring title was more about just the lack of talent around him and they didn't have any other options um, rather than any sort of elite talent that he has. That That's, I guess, where the question's going to land uh, with this team now and then pairing him with uh, Pazingas. Is that going to get the best out of him, best out of this franchise? I don't see it, but um, but it's probably better than going down the same trajectory that they were on. Yeah, look, I look at it as a bit like um, clearly that Bertans and Dinwiddie had no role in the future there. Um, I, you know, I think the kind of the X's and O's and wins and losses is you know probably net neutral. You know, Zinger, no doubt, has got significant injury risk and probably will never play more than he's lucky, but 60 games in a season does. So mm. I think that's just a, a, a bit of a, you know, there's at least upside in, a, in an imaginary zinger there, right? There's, there's zero upside in Dinwiddie and Berton. So I don't mind it from that perspective. You don't really, you don't lose anything. And I think Beals had such a long track record, right? Back to back years, 30 points a game. It's hard not to conclude that there's probably something wrong physically or, something's wrong. Yeah. Like Dean Lillard, similar, similar type of season as well. Right. So I just, I, I'm going to start to say, this is just a, it just didn't work. It only played 40 games. Um, and I, before I sort of judge him, 
but he does have a worrying trend as he's, you know, the last time he shot 40% from three, he had, you know, three out of four seasons there where he shot more than 40% from three. And now it's been 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, five years consecutive. He's went from 40% in 17 to 37 and a half to 35% in two back-to-back seasons, just under 35% last year and down to 30% this year. That's a very, very visible trend line. And so something's happened to his three-point shot, Daz. That's well, that's I'd, I'd suggest undeniable. maybe he's shooting more off the bounce too. Like them forty percent years, it might have been much more catch and shoot. And he's tried to advance his game, and so I'm going to shoot a bit more off the bounce than I was because John Ball, John Wall would have been setting the table for him uh, to a large part. I, I would imagine in some of those earlier forty percent seasons. So maybe no that doubt. explains yeah. part of it. The more the more ISO heavy game that he's had to take on uh, his yeah. percentages, and I think the big question, and and this sort of leads us into our other big trade, Daz. I mean, it, it, it's around that sort of team building. Uh, question when you already have a superstar and i mean i think we can safely say Beal's not a superstar but luka Doncic is a superstar i mean he's maybe you know certainly between the sort of you know top top five maybe top 10 depending on how you want to look at him in the league but he's one of the guys that matter he's one of the guys that sort of lift your floor and you'll always burn the plus as long as he stays healthy and then the question becomes how do you build around a guy like that and do you need a second and a potentially a third star around him. And that's that's very hard to do. And that's where you start chasing those guys that are a bit older and can they rediscover the magic? Oh, can they come back from injury and things like that? Or do you just build around them and say, let's get some really competent NBA players and build around, the, around this guy. And I would argue, I think that's what Milwaukee sort of done more around Giannis rather than say, let's get another star that's a similar level to Giannis and let's try and get three of the top 10 players in the league and go down that path because you need one injury and you've got no depth. And we've seen that with the Nets. And I think that's where Dallas sort of went with Porzingis, hoping he would be that second star. It hasn't happened. And I wonder if Philadelphia is making the same mistake with the Ben Simmons trade, rather than trading Simmons for some just solid NBA guys and say, you know what, we've got one of the top three players in the league. Let's just surround him with really good, solid NBA talent. They've gone out and tried to get a second star. I'm not, I'm, and I would question whether that whether James Harden's even a star anymore, uh, given what he's produced in the last couple of years. I mean, he had a very nice stretch last year, but his last sort of three years, Daz, has not been that like, great. What's your sort of feeling? I mean, should these teams be going after that second, go star hunting and, and get a second and even a third star if you can? Or should you just build through depth and say, let's let's build around their superstar through depth? Because it is an interesting question, isn't it? What, what, what's your sort of take? It all goes, I guess, your um, also probably goes back to ownership, Daz, and, and your fan base and what your expectations are. I think there's no question Right, you look back through history, and you know, championships are won by superstars. Yeah, um, well, we one emerged last year, right, with with Giannis. It would, you know, been uh, ridiculed as you know, great and regular season player, but you know, doesn't have a game suited to winning. You know, really, really tough six and seven game series against the most elite defenses, and we saw him. Do what he did in games three through seven last year, sorry, three through six on a 50-point closeout, right? So guys like that can 
develop and emerge, but I think that's very, very rare. Um, but, but the point is he's, a, he's an MVP and had been an MVP and then became a finals MVP. And so happens to have the perfect complement, right? When Chris Middleton, who can, you know, handle the ball and shoot threes off the bounce. So I think he's not a superstar, but it's the perfect complementary piece to him. And so you look at the flip side, well, that's what Bradley Beal is kind of shoots off the bounce, good playmaker, you know, a la Middleton, probably deluxe Middleton, you know, a couple of years ago anyway, it's like, well, then how do you give him gravity is you need a really, really big wing, right. Or, or a post player big to help him do that. And they just never, they never found that piece um, in, in Washington. But you're, I guess, back to the point about, about Philadelphia. Well, it's, it's obvious, right. We know Daryl Morey and I was one of the few people who thought, right. It's actually quite logical that he's not trading Simmons, um, because all Daryl Morey wants to do is win the title and his philosophy clearly is superstar hunting. And so um, I shouldn't say superstar hunting. I should say it more what I, I think I said a couple pods ago. He's looking for a player who can who can be a number two to Joel to win a title. Right. So I don't want to label it superstar, but clearly wanted a guy who could help Joel win a title and be the second best player on the team. And that's what he's done. Now we can argue if Harden is that um, or not, and, and X's nose fit or not, but that was clearly, I think, for Philadelphia. Well, I guess, I mean, here's my question. Absolutely. This is what it comes down to, the, the nuts and bolts of it to me. I mean, do you want to have that that sort of top-heavy roster and then a well, bunch of nothing after that, or would you rather have that one star? And once you got the one star, that's the question. Do you want to then add have a top heavy stars to that roster and then have a bunch of flotsam and jetsam or would you prefer to have the the star and then build around with depth and hope that by just by being through the playoffs you're going to develop that depth over the time anyway good question that implies you can do that it implies you have the choice some franchises have the ability to choose between those two paths some don't well i would argue philly had the choice with the simmons trade I, I would argue they, uh, I argue they, they didn't, right? Because Joel Embiid is a big and he's a center, right? The Milwaukee, I'm going to say he's very similar to the Giannis, let's just say, because he's a big and he's a center, right? And doesn't have the ball in his hands. Yeah, Giannis did a lot, but what happened, right? The Bucks made a massive, massive leap when Giannis started playing off ball and crunch time was being ha- held by Chris Middleton, Right. That's what Joel Embiid needs. He needs a guy who in crunch time can play make, get him a ball in the post, run a, run a pick and roll or and draw defenses out, right? That's what Joel Embiid has needed. That's what Jimmy Butler was doing when he was there. That's what they thought Tobias Harris, very wrongly, could do, right? Um, with his outside perimeter scoring to be able to create space for Joel. That just never, ever happened. That's why they were so frustrated for year after year after year that this physical beast and in, in, um, Ben Simmons not only doesn't, you know, take a volume of shots, but apparently doesn't even work on his game in the offseason to want to improve his shots. So that's why I think that they need that. So I thought to maximize Joel Embiid, you need that elite or all-star level guy who can make plays off the bounce a lot of the Chris Middleton to the Giannis. So that's why I think in theory, right, getting the James Harden can be that guy 
on one end of the floor. So in Philly's case, Daz, yes. I think they fucked up the the Jimmy Butler situation. They've been have been trying to claw their way back. Um, they, obviously Simmons was flawed. So I rightly or wrongly, this probably does give them a better chance to win a title than had they said taken a Ben Simmons and gotten, let's just say, <laughs> apparently Harrison Barnes was untouchable, apparently, Taz, but <laughs> let's say uh, Harrison well, Barnes and But I would uh, argue that to me, Harrison Barnes, Halliburton, and Healed. I'd rather that than James Harden. And, and I'm also giving up. Well, you'd never get all three, but I mean. Seth Curry yeah. and Andre Drummond. So. Like they might have gotten Barnes and, and Halliburton for him. But I, I, I think, I, I just think the timelines are off there, Des. That's, that's all. Joel is in his prime. Let's be honest. Daryl Morey is no, no fool. He knows well, him. Look, even if it was Fox. Years, and I mean, Fox is a, three is years. a bit more of a flawed yeah. player. Um, but I, I just think. Give me the three good NBA players. And I mean, we're assuming Buddy Hield's going to come back and be something what he was a couple of years ago uh, when he looked a good player. I'm just not convinced. You've given up some of your depth to get a so-called star. And I think this sort of star chasing that we're seeing in the NBA, I think it leads you down some wrong paths. We've seen it with the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers traded all their depth away if you get Russell Westbrook because he's a big name, because everyone knows him. And, and, you know, everyone's riding Russ off and he's been awful this year. There's no doubt about that. But he was good in the second half of last year with the Wizards. So there was no reason to think he was going to be as terrible as what he's been this year. I mean, I, I thought they'd be better in the regular season and awful in the playoffs. But I think when you're going this sort of star hunting route, I, th- I just think the degree of difficulty goes up. And I think you've you need to get lucky in a sense. And you sort of, a lot of times you talk yourself into these trades and you talk, and I think Maury's talked himself into Harden and it's like, okay, yeah, you, if you like James Harden, you love, you love numbers really, because, you know, you, it's not really, you, you're not really a lover of basketball if you just particularly what he did in Houston. Um, and it's not going to be attractive watching him and Joel play your turn, my turn in um, Philly for the, for the fans. So they better win the title because it's it's going to be ugly to watch. And I mean, how long before this is a guy that's now quit on two franchises within a year and you're expecting that he's going to buy in with a guy like Joel Embiid who's been a prickly personality himself? Like, to me, this is a massive, massive risk. And I'm not saying there's not downside risk doing the other type of trade, but that that was the sort of trade I would have tried to do. And there's a reason, I guess, Daryl Morey's where he is and where I'm where I am. But just in my opinion building through depth and trying to get some pieces there. Um, assuming there's not a bona fide star available um, for Ben Simmons, that's the route I would have taken rather than the route that they've gone with, with Harden. And part of that is I'm down on James Harden as well. I don't think he's the player that he was when he was winning MVPs and they came within a, within a whisker of being the Warriors when Chris Paul was there. Oh, he's a shadow of, of that. What was that, 2019? Yeah, I mean, he had a stretch shame. last year. He did have a stretch last year. I mean, Kenny Smith said he was in the MVP conversation. There was He was not in the MVP conversation. I think there was a time last year where we went, oh, if he keeps playing like this, you know, maybe he can play his way into that. But really, he was never at the Jokic level. He was never at the Ars level, never at the Embiid level last year for an extended period of time, enough to get into that. And I mean, the year before in the bubble, he was poor when Westbrook was there. 
He was not great with Chris Paul last. Chris Paul's last year in Houston. So you're sort of talking now four years ago, four years back when he actually won the MVP. That's the James Harden that you'd be hoping to get for the sort of package that they've just given up in Philadelphia. Yeah, he's 20 pounds lighter back then, right, <laughs> as well. No, I'm not kidding. He's got all these hamstring injuries. He's just he's 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 not in good shape, full stop. That's that's not an that's not even can't even be debated, but I, so Harden aside for a minute, when I, you know, I, I could pick a hundred holes in his game as a, as a leader and as a human being from what we can see as a, as an athlete, he's just James Harden's all about James Harden. And then there's never been an argument about that. Um, but I, just where the Sixers have come from, from the process, right? Like there was, and then the hiring of Daryl Morey, Right, always meant that there's there's one or two more moves, right? Mm-hmm. To either make the most of Simmons and Embiid to complete the quote, say, complete this right the process of all these assets to the top to collect the top talent to win a title. Like this is it. This now is literally the end, right? Officially, the end is James Harden and, and Joel Embiid. And I guess if this doesn't work, it's possible. Right, but very, very unlikely because he's going to get $47 million next year. And if Daryl Morey and, and James Harden, by the way, is friends with one of the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers, that's why all this tampering, there's no doubt going to be, you know, NBA has a problem here, Daz. It's a, it's a hmm. problem that they will need to address. That the, the tampering here is so obvious and so blatant. It's almost as obvious as LeBron James and Anthony Davis when they got when they torpedoed and completely killed the Pelican season that year is um, they could get some value from him, Daz, but it's very, very unlikely that he's going to be earning $50 million a year in a couple of years, Daz. There's almost no doubt, unless he has some sort of Gordon Hayward catastrophic injury, there's almost no doubt he's going to get something like that, you know, three years and 140 million probably. So, so this meaning this is it. I think would have been whilst the, the fans were exhausted and exacerbated by the Simmons and probably wouldn't happy to have some good citizens to play good basketball, you know, and, you know, keep Seth Curry. And they kept Tyrese Maxey though. They kept Fiebel. They love, they seem to love Fiebel, which I don't know why the guy can only play on half the court. They seem to love him and I can't play him next to Embiid in crunch time. But anyway, Des, I, I think they've got enough of those, good guys around that's oh, why i think they I had to take a shot I well I'm, I'm saying that's what that's what daryl Moore. well that's what daryl Moore think thinks. but i I'm think daryl Moore is projecting this, a different version of james harden than the james harden he's going to get um i don't know if he's even projecting i think this was just their friends and he's friends with the ownership and james pouted and got fat his way out of brooklyn but you know i never defend james harden but <laughs> If you're James Harden, why the fuck would you, why the fuck would you want to put up with Kyrie Irving for a year? Well, I mean, this buddy, is the thing now. This is defending I guess, the end of the earth, you know? Daryl Morey's so, always gone that second star hunting, and sometimes it's worked. It certainly worked with Chris Paul, but it hasn't worked with other times. didn't work with Dwight Howard. didn't work with Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, I, I would argue it's not going to work uh, this time, although obviously we'll see. How that is, and I guess the, the final point I'll make on the, the Philadelphia side, and I guess we'll see it is I just to reiterate the point I just think when you've already got a superstar player, build around them with depth, 
don't do this sort of star chasing exercise. Yes, it can work. Work with the Lakers. It, it works one time in 10. And maybe you could argue it works one time in 10 building around with depth. But I think if you look at the way teams have done it, you look at the way Dallas did it around Nowitzki, you look at the way the Spurs did it around Duncan, you look at the way Milwaukee did it around Giannis, admittedly not free agent destinations necessarily those teams, which makes it a little bit different. I mean, the Lakers can do, uh, can go star hunting when they've got a LeBron uh, more easily than some of these other teams. But I just think the way Philly's sort of gone about this is not the way that I would have liked to have seen them going about it. And I don't think it's going to bring them the title, but obviously we'll see. Certainly I will say this, they've got more of a chance of winning the title today than they had before the trade. Um, I don't think it's weakened them as a team now, but I think there's a path not taken there with, with Maury that I think would have given them a slightly better chance uh, of winning the title this year, given the way Joel Embiid's playing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not even sure. People are sort of projecting out already, oh, well, he's going to sign the extension. I'm not so sure he's going to sign the extension in Philly. And I'm not so sure he's going to get this big sort of money that people are talking about because he needs to lift his play quite a bit. Um, and he and if the music stops in 18 months' time, James Harden might find that, um, you know, he, 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 he'll certainly still have some suitors, but will he have suitors willing to pay him $50 million a year? I'm not so sure, does. He's... Russ Westbrook with a jump shot. That, that what they, they call him this week. But yeah, I mean, strip club fatso needs to lose 20 pounds and do the work, right? He's 32. He's going to be 33 in the offseason, right? Mm. You know, this is this is NBA. He's got a lot of mileage on his, you know, increasingly um, immobile um, hamstrings and his lower body just, you know, he plays a lot of minutes, right? He plays 37 minutes a game this year. So, you know, he's, he's not exactly... Not exactly. He tanked his way out, right? But you can't say the guy isn't playing. So he just needs to lose weight and get in shape. As I still think they got a better chance to win than if he wouldn't got yourself. Well, he's not going to get in shape this season. I mean, he he tried to do that last season. That's what I would argue. That's one of the reasons. I'm with Charles Barkley. I'm with I'm with Barkley here. Is like, of course he's healthy. He just got traded. I I think he just he tanked his way out. And look, so I think he's going to be better. He's not going to go 41 33. You know, with Joel Embiid in the center, he's not. He's gonna. I, I think. I think he's gonna bump. Well, I think personality wise, this team is not. Well, that's a different conversation. Yeah, who who wants to have this guy as their teammate? Well, like, and that's the thing. Nobody. Him and Embiid, I think that's going to be oil and water. Um, I mean, this is a guy that hasn't really gotten along with anyone. I mean, he got along with Chris Paul for five minutes, and that's been pretty much it. Um, you know, he he ran. He, he quit on Kevin McCarr, ran him out of town. Ran Dwight Howard out of town, ran Chris Paul out of town, ran Westbrook out of town, ran himself out of town. You know, like he's such a baby. It's just he's like this guy, you know, what it, and he loved and, Chris Paul until Chris Paul became so good that Chris Paul was the reason that we thought they were going to take down the Warriors. And then he decided he didn't like him. He's such an infant. Well, he's he is, an infant. I mean, he hasn't had a major playoff moment since 2012 when he was coming off as a six man for the <laughs> OKC Thunder. So this is a guy that continually comes up short in the playoffs as well. So, boy, it's it's going to be look, it's going to be fascinating to watch. There's there's no doubt about that. But I think it's going to be more fascinating to talk about after the games than maybe watch in the moment. Because as I alluded to earlier, I'm not sure the basketball itself is going to be um, setting any records for um, the, the yeah for how attractive it is on the court when, as I say, you're watching uh, your turn, my turn between Harden and, and then Bird in the post. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, look, they theoretically can run some pick and roll, but James Harden's going to have the ball in his hands the whole game. Like, what's Embiid going to do? Stand in the corner like P.J. Tucker? He can't rim roll like... Well, like what's Harden going to do when Embiid's in the post? Is he going to even come so, past half court? No. No. He's going he's gonna, to... Well, look at his fingernails, the way he does. Check out his pedicure. Uh, so there's going to yeah. be some good, so, good sort of moves going around, I'm but, sure. Let me ask, though, then on the other side, though, what do you think... Do we even care what this means for Brooklyn? Like, does it, well, can you imagine I, Kevin Durant's gone from James Harden to Ben Simmons. Like, well, quickly, so a couple of things today? on that. So just one of the Livingston moments of the week that had us off the couch, Daz, was the All-Star draft, which this is why I love the NBA so much more than the NFL, because the NFL could not do something like this. They take themselves far too seriously, right? And the NBA can laugh at themselves and they're just, no one takes it so seriously. You know, maybe one or two players here and there take it a bit more seriously than maybe they should at times. But generally they don't take them, certainly they don't take themselves that seriously. And uh, if when the All-Star draft happened, you had Le- Team LeBron, Team Durant, and LeBron was deliberately not choosing James Harden to just let him slide down the draft. And then Charles and Kenny Smith start both laughing. And Ernie Johnson's saying, well, what are you laughing at? And there's a, no, I can't say what I'm laughing at. And then LeBron re- refused to choose him again. James Harden ends up being the last person chosen. And then, as you mentioned earlier, um, LeBron said, oh, is James injured? Or should I even be choosing James? And Charles goes, he got traded. He's not injured anymore. And then it goes to Kevin Durant. He's just totally deadpan. Not a smile on his face at all taking it serious and then the draft finishes just to finish that point and Charles Barkley says to Kevin Durant Kevin do they have psychiatrists there in Brooklyn he goes because you must be needing the psychiatrist dealing with all the crap you've had to do within the last 18 months he goes you got Kyrie off the reservation James Arden quits on the team now you've got Ben Simmons there who's supposedly got mental health problems of his own and Charles didn't touch on that but that was sort of the implication and um, Kevin Durant, to his credit, sort of said, look, I'm playing, but I'm getting paid millions of dollars to play basketball if I care about all that sort of drama. But surely it must be weighing on him, Daz. Like, geez, this is the, the, well, the difficulty just goes up for what he's got to deal with in terms of bringing this team together. And maybe it's a bit of karma for the way he left OKC and then ran into the, the waiting arms of Draymond Green at Golden State. Well, Daz, I mean, I'm at- the phrase of drooling the drool of regret on the pillow of remorse Kevin Durant left Steph Curry to go play with Kyrie Irving like oops (laughs) oh you know you talk about you know patterns and and relationships the bad relationships and you spend years examining you know what are the choices I made and what are the patterns and you know things that you know don't serve my interests and Try not to repeat him, and <laughs> what's Kevin gone and done? Yeah, he started off with you know Russ and James, and ended up with with freaking Kyrie. That's why this didn't work. If he didn't pair up with Kyrie Irving, they they acquire James Harden. They're rocking and rolling, right? Harden left because he's you know he can't. He's like I'm not carrying this load. Right? This like the disrespect he has for for Kyrie. You almost respect Harden for that. 
So that's why I don't feel bad for Durant at all. As you hitched your wagon to Kyrie Irving mm. and defended him every step of the way as he has sabotaged your season, single-handedly sabotaged your season, and in the shrug emoji, Harden's like, fuck you. So I kind of, I, I, I'm kind of on James Harden's side here. I don't like the tanking, right? But we've seen it before, right? So I, I don't like it at all. You don't respect it at all, but you kind of understand it, yeah? Mm. So um, that, I have zero idea what's going to happen in Brooklyn. I have no idea if Kyrie's going to play or get back. I have no idea what goofball Simmons is going to look like, if he's going to play at all. I have no idea if Harris is going to miss the season or come back. No idea if Aldridge can hold up, no idea how, how, how Durant, is he going to, is he going to give it his all and try and drag this team over the line? Or is he going to just try like no idea what's going on with that team. So if I step back and look at this, I sort of think, yeah, Philadelphia got, I think clearly got better at the end of the day, you know, obviously James Harden is better than Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. That's who was playing Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. I think Harden's better than Seth Curry. And so I'm looking at it from a Bucks perspective. I'm like, the Bucks and the Heat were kind of winners here. I think if they're probably clearly one, two in some order, and maybe even Heat number one favorites, I think, I think both those teams are looking pretty happy, pretty favorable um, when you think about what's happened to the, to the Brooklyn and Philadelphia here. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think there's certainly a clear one, two. Uh, in the Eastern Conference and Brooklyn took a step back this year. I mean, obviously the the best case scenario for Brooklyn was going to be uh, if Kyrie uh, get, either gets the jab or New York changed their laws uh, around the, the sort of vaccination requirements, vaccination mandates there. And uh, James Harden you know, can get healthy and, and sort of stay on the court. I mean, Zach Lowe made a good point. He said, the person I feel sorry for the most in all this is poor Evan Fournier. Is it because... They absolutely torched poor Evan Fournier. And that was the only sort of period we saw all three of those guys together in Brooklyn was that first round series last year where they destroyed the Boston Celtics. And uh, apart from that, 16 games they played together, Daz, that was it. Uh, and it looked unstoppable when they were together. I mean, I remember seeing them uh, for a brief period in that Buck series. And we sort of said to each other, well, I think the Bucks might be in a bit of trouble here. Um, you know, after that for that sort of um, early early games, I think at that stage Harden was still out as well. Uh, and then and then came back later on in the series and obviously didn't look like himself, but it never quite come together. Look, in terms of Ben Simmons, he's at least a month away. I mean, people are saying, is he going to play that 10th of March game in Philly? I don't think he will. Um, it'd be a bit of a mockery of all the mental health stuff. I mean, if you, know, if you could get any less respect for the guy, um, if he comes back and plays that game, um, you, you've got to really, you know, your respect would go down even further because mental health is a serious is a issue within our society. And for someone to be hiding behind it um, and, and pretending they you know, have mental health challenges that they clearly don't have or potentially don't have, and certainly I'd say if he plays in that game, you can, you can safely say he clearly doesn't have any problems like that. Um, so, look... It's hard for me to say with Ben Simmons that I'm not really rooting for his success, but I'm not. I'm just, I'm so disgusted by the way he's carried on. I'm so disgusted by the media hangers on like Brian Windhorse, who have sort of backed him every step of the way. I mean, Windhorse 
with a straight face came out and said the other day that uh, he, he saw a workout video of Ben Simmons and he looked really good, Daz. And that's when I went, oh, how would you like to be Paul Brown Windows? You get the get the call from Rich Paul and say, look, Brian, this is what I want you to say on ESPN uh, today. You know, you just completely sold out you know, every little bit of journalistic integrity that you have uh, to go and just stump for clutch sports clients all the time. So that, that was quite sad to see. But look, I, I think this year is almost a write-off for Brooklyn. Um, in the off-season, they've got to make some questions. Kyrie obviously can can opt out of his contract, maybe not even re-sign there. Um, but, you know, my, all my understanding is the vaccine mandate won't change. He's clearly not getting the vaccine. Um, so that's the end of that. He's not, he's only going to be playing half the games. And Durant and Simmons on their own are not going to be good enough uh, to win a game seven on the road. Yeah, no, I can't wait to see Ben Simmons. I think he's he's an infant. Like this is a competitor. Like Giannis sees that guy on the other side of the floor and just it just it just makes him right smile, uh, salivate. It's just he's not a he's not a competitor. Like nothing about him is gonna is gonna scare you as a as an opponent. And so I I. I I don't know. It's hard not to disrespect him as a professional right through all this. I don't even want to speculate on the mental health stuff. It just looks like he couldn't handle the pressure and thought he could be, thought he was far more superstar than he was with his brilliant agent in clutch and completely misplayed this. And here you go. I go play with Kyrie Irving. See how that works out for you, Ben. That, that'll, that'll help your, that'll help your head. Um, yeah. And from a, uh, from a competitive standpoint, I guess it's a little bit fascinating to see if the theory of Simmons, you know, as a, as a huge theory of him as a highly engaged, you know, six foot 10 switchable big with Kevin Durant, if he's perfectly healthy, that's a really interesting theory, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. On both ends, an unbelievable in transition. If you had a, a theory of Kyrie playing, you know, a healthy and hundred percent of the games, like the theory of those is probably even more intriguing than the theory of Harden and, and Kyrie and then Kevin, just because of what you could do on defense where it could hide Kevin Durant, right? Not have to have him work so hard. You could have him kind of hide and let Ben Simmons actually, you know, guard Giannis or guard, you know, Tatum or guard Jimmy Butler or whatever and hide Kevin on Brooke Lopez, hide, hide Kevin on, on Bam Adebayo, you know? It's it's not a bad not a bad thing, but that's you have to squint pretty hard to see that happening in a you know a game six or game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals at this point. Well, Kyrie showed in today does what he can do. I mean, he came out against Miami. Miami were winning that game comfortably, and then Kyrie scored twenty points in the fourth quarter and nearly led the Nets uh, back to win the game. That's against you know I'd argue Miami uh, one of the top two or three, if not the number one defensive term in the league, um, particularly on the perimeter. So for him to put 20 points on them in the quarter and he bring the net back just shows the talent of the guy. Um, but to say he's unreliable at this point, well, it's a massive, massive understatement. I think the thing to watch with Brooklyn is if 
a if he's able to come back and again that those those vaccine mandates change but more importantly potentially is a sign and trade in the off season where he does find another place to go um and and clearly you know he can't stay in brooklyn if, if the laws and and his own sort of uh, decisions around the vaccine stay the same uh and then what can they potentially get for him in a side and trade to put the you know KD and Ben Simmons together, but I, you know, KD's only got so many miles left on the clock, Daz, and I'm just not sure that he's going to want to come back and just give it this massive push this year for potentially like the playing tournament the way they're going. Um, they they're sliding down the west, the Eastern Conference of the Raider knots, um, and and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, with the player, the Raps, the fact that the Celtics got better, and we'll talk about that, etc. You know, they could slide even beyond the eight seed, um, the way they're in free fall at the moment. If Kevin Durant doesn't come back very shortly after that All Star break, yeah, and Kevin Durant wasn't the Kevin Durant of even last year, I and mean, his scoring's still there, but his efficiency is is way down this year, Daz. He's just had to, you know, do a lot more because the you know guys around him probably been a lot less reliable, so. I think the older he gets and the less, less, the more inefficient he gets, you know, that's, that's not great. That's not a great sign. Um, you know, he's only shooting, I say only it's Kevin Durant only shooting 37% from three. He's only getting up five attempts per game, you know, from deep. He's not exactly, you know, he's, it's not, this isn't, this isn't even last year's Kevin Durant, I would say, even when we did see him this year. So uh, there's a lot of question marks about this team and if you think back to Kyrie, it's, you know, what sort of franchise is going to be desperate enough to want to trade for that guy who's doesn't even, you don't even know if one day or the next he might retire, you know, from the league. I just think that I don't, I don't imagine that's likely at all that another team's so desperate and or Kyrie somehow changes his personality 180 degrees and, and commits the, to the sport. I just, I just don't imagine it. So they're, they're in a pickle now. Boy, this is, you know, if you want drama, Des, you see like the NBA for, you know, it's it's drama. It kind of creates, boy, there'll be no more drama. You maybe thought we're sick of hearing about Ben Simmons. <laughs> we ain't heard the last of it. We ain't heard the last of it. This no. is just, just another chapter in this saga, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's we'll let's zoom out a bit and look at the Eastern Conference because we mentioned that. Now, Miami didn't make any moves of note. Um, you know, potentially Goran Dragic goes back there in the buyout market. We'll wait and see how that plays out. Uh, but you want to talk about disrespect as another Livingston moment from the week was when the Lakers played the Bucks, and I'm not sure if you saw this, but very early on in the game, AD tried to post up uh, Giannis, and Giannis just slapped the ball away from him at first, and then AD had to go and get it back, and then realising that the shot clock's winding down, AD had to back into him again and then try and get up a quick shot, which Giannis just shoved straight back down his throat. And then the Bucks were off to the races, and that sort of started a very, very easy Bucks win, which was just totally humiliating. And the people saying after the game, they've never seen LeBron look quite as dejected after a game as what he did after that one but what did you think uh, from the Bucks point of view getting Sergio Barker in uh, for Don- Dante DiVincenzo uh, and you know in in the way this season's going for the Bucks they trade DiVincenzo and then Pat Connaughton breaks his hand the very same day so now Pat Connaughton's out for I don't know what the broken hand would be at least at least sort of four weeks you'd think um, for Pat Connaughton it sort of sums up the way their season's going at the moment I mean I was 
from my point of view, I was a bit lukewarm on it, but I thought I thought it was probably the best deal they could have done. Uh, but Serge Barker just not the player that he was when he won the title in Toronto um, a few years ago. So I'm not quite sure, you know, how much they're going to get out of him. I mean, theoretically, he's a similar player to Brook Lopez, and it doesn't look like Brook Lopez at least will be back. Um, has Brook Lopez come back already, or he's about to? Come he's back? practicing, but he's he's practicing but he's uh, don't ha- doesn't yeah. have a date yeah, yeah they don't have a date it's so what did uh, you, you know, make was, what, what's what's the bucks land view of the uh the well uh, sorry the bucks the, land the, view is deal. the bucks land view is right they they took on money with this does right so they're they're in the tax they're going even deeper into the tax with this mm. so this is another sign of um ownership uh, actually you know stepping up and you know, supporting a team clearly in the in the very middle of a very obvious you know championship window. So that was the first thing we thought was, holy cow, they're taking on money. Because what what you missed in this as well, Daz, right, is that um, they also got rid of um, Shemi Ojale and Rodney Hood mm-hmm. as part of this, right? As a complicated, complicated four team trade, Daz, and um, and. They got um, two second round draft picks as part of this. So what's happened is number one, they got a shot at Serge being a player. He doesn't look like he's the same guy, Daz. He's also come back from surgery last year. So he's he's definitely not back to full strength. And so I don't know, will, will he be kind of old Serge Ibaka or some resemblance of him by April or May? We'll see. Doesn't seem likely, but it's possible. So you get yourself a chance at a guy who can, obviously has tons of playoff experience. Um, number two, you get a couple of second round draft picks that allows you, you know, to do some moves around the fringes later on. And just as importantly, another signal about how much they're going to spend, they now have open roster spots as that Ojale and Hood had. So clearly that meaning they're going to add probably guys on the buyout market um, and which is adding more into the tax. And so it was sort of like a double down of, of the Bucks. Um, willingness to spend, to put the pieces around, um, you know, um, Giannis and Chris and Drew to, to have another crack. Is it an admission, yeah. though, that they should have just uh, signed PJ, re-signed PJ Tucker in the offseason? Uh, it's a good question. Because that question. seemed to be a money. Like, that. that's what I don't get, because that seemed to be a move to stay out of the tax. It, well, it clearly wasn't money because of the tax. Well, no, because they they spent they go they went into the tax in the off season right when they went and acquired, you know, um, uh, Grayson Allen right. That was a big that added a bunch of money, um, and you know, filling up the roster the way they did. I know. mean, did they, so they just think they, that the, the PJ Tucker was out of gas? Like he didn't have any gas left. In the yeah, I, I think that's there's almost no other way to look at it. Like I think what was happening is they they probably forecast that a couple of years, and said, look, what what's going to have to happen this year is you know, Bobby Portis is going to play big minutes, you know, with or without Brook Lopez's injury. And he has, and just the, and the question of him being an amazing playoff player, but is he really that useful in the regular season? Right. Like, you know, you don't really need him for 82 games. Right. So that they, you know, they had this, the Connaughton, DiVincenzo, Grayson Allen kind of wings kind of guys they could play and Connaughton kind of can play off the position and, Chris can defend some threes and fours in the regular season and Bobby's going to get a lot of runs. So yeah, we'll find out, I guess, in the playoffs, 
um, for sure, but um, uh, but considering where they're at at the moment in time, it's more of an admission that you know you take your shot with these minimum guys in the off season and they they don't work out. And credit to John Horace, he's taken shots and cut bait very quickly on the DJ Augustines of the world, the yeah. you know the Bryn Forbes of the world, and Rodney Hoods, Shemi Ojolay. You know, the theory was could Shemi be you know a fraction of of PJ, and he obviously couldn't. And they cut bait, and they're like, all right, that costs us money. Let's spend more to try and get some inefficient, you know, f- can we find a diamond in the rough? Yeah. And so who knows, you know, could they be a player for, uh, you know, Goran Dragic, you know, and as, as, you know, reviled as he is in Bucksland for his, you know, notoriously kind of borderline dirty play. What, what a wrinkle he would provide to the team, right? Just on the court or, you know, no doubt we're going to see buyout guys here coming in the, in the coming weeks. And so, um, yeah, anyway, as a, as a team who's a returning champion, who's had a rough season, right, injuries and lost time and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. It's not been a, it's a, a repeat doesn't look likely, but, but you go uh, back to your earlier conversation about depth and, and top end talent. When Giannis, Chris and Drew are healthy, I'll put that, I'll take that any day of the week. I'll, I'll go, you know, go to battle against the Philly or the Miamis or, or Boston, you got, you got a really good shot to win a seven-game series if those three guys are healthy and just get enough of the right type of depth, you know, around them. So um, Bucksland well, is happy. The only the team you're going to meet in the playoffs where you won't potentially have the best player on the court is Philly, and that's if Embiid absolutely goes crazy and probably reaches a level we haven't even seen from him yet, certainly in the playoffs. And we've seen that level from Giannis in the playoffs. So I think you can be pretty confident almost every night you're going to have the best player on the court. And then it's whether, you know, those sort of the two and three guys where they land um, against the other sort of teams, top top three and four players. Um, and then, you know, the other guys to, to talk about the depth, they need to hit big shots. And we saw it at different stages last year um, for the Bucks with, with PJ Tucker, not so much hitting big shots for PJ, but more about, uh, the defense that he was able to provide at different times, you know, Connor didn't hit some shots, etc., uh, for that team last year. And I think it's going to be the same sort of story this year, but it's going to be the Grace and Allen types, uh, and, and potentially a Sergio Barker, uh, that comes in and makes some plays, uh, Daz. So let's look elsewhere. I mean, and just quickly on PJ Tucker, he is really playing well in Miami this year. I've been surprised at how good he's been in the regular season because I sort of thought, like you, I thought he'll sleepwalk through the regular season and just say, I'll see you in about April uh, and come in and play in the playoffs. But he's been quite effective for them um, in the regular season. It's one of the reasons they are the number one seed at the moment. Um, uh, the, the Miami Heat. Yeah. So let's quickly talk about a couple other teams that made moves. I really like what Boston did, Daz, and Boston... Uh, then they've won seven in a row now, all booed on a, on a powder puff schedule. Uh, but I did watch them, uh, Derek White's first game there uh, against the, the Nuggets. And it was a close game. We know we've spoken a bit about how poor the Celtics have been in close games, Daz. And they traded for Derek White, basically a first round pick for Derek White uh, from the Spurs. And it's, it was like, you know, if you get something and you need sort of a, a little cog or you need some WD-40 to get something moving again, because watching that Boston offense through the year, particularly in the crunch time games, the ball just sticks. You know, it goes to Jalen Brown and Jalen Brown goes, oh, it's my turn. I'm going to have to shoot or Tatum or Schroeder, right? 
these are the guys that sort of were involved in, in the game. Then Derek White comes in, and what Derek White does, the ball doesn't stick. He makes quick decisions. So if he, and this is from the sort of Spurs motion offense that you see, the Spurs number one team in the league in assists, and they sort of have to be because they, they don't have anyone good enough to play ISO ball in San Antonio. So you've got to move the ball. You've got to make quick decisions. And you saw it was infectious on the, on the Celtics, at least for that one game. And the ball starts moving, Daz. And Derek White's moving off the ball. All of a sudden, more Jason Taylor's moving off the ball. Jalen Brown's, you know, Jalen Brown had a couple of key assists down the stretch of that game. Looked like a completely different team. Now, I'm not suggesting this is going to be the thing that, that pushes them over the top and, and they're going to win the title there. But I could see this team all of a sudden making some noise and maybe winning a series or two in the plus if they get the right matchups. And I think that's going to be a key thing in this Eastern Conference. Who gets matched up with who? And you might even see certain teams tanking a few games to say, well, that's the team that I want in the first round uh, rather than, you know, Brooklyn, let's say if they get healthy, everyone might be trying to avoid them um, in, in that first round of players. But what did you make of sort of that Celtics move? And do you, does it sort of make sense to you? I know you didn't see the game, but that, that's the type of player that might be able to unlock um, some of the offensive struggles they've had, particularly late in games. Well, it's interesting you you went there, which I, I, I wasn't the first reaction I had, but it does make sense when you when you lay it out like that. When we've seen again, this is we're you know, tiring talking about the parade of you know shoot first um, players. They've gone from Kyrie to Kemba to Schroeder, you know, just and you know, obviously that's not not working. And a lot of the blame you do lay on not blame, but just the just the. the the Tatum and Browns aren't playmakers, right? They're not, they don't make others better around them. So for sure, I think the, the white will be a bit of a, a nail, like a fulcrum for them. But what I, but on offense, but what I first thought of is this team finally has an identity, right? Because acquiring Derek White is a, for me the, the clearest signal that this is going to be a defense first team. A defense first roster. So Derek White, Marcus Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Robert Williams. That's a pretty good fucking closing five, Daz. That is a rugged, switchy, tough, you know, mother-in-law defense type of, you know, with Brown and Smart and White. That is a tough, tough defense. And I go, that that for me is I go, well, my hat tip to to Brad Stevens for this deal um, is um, is that. It seems like they now have an identity, and can, you can. You are you more likely to win a title like this? You know, trying to win games. You know, you know, ninety nine to ninety six, rather than letting Tatum run up and down the court, not making anyone better, playing your turn, my turn, each scoring fifty, and having all the Boston and every national media filleting them. You know, for being fifty point scores and being a five hundred club. I go, if this is what this team, if this signals this team becoming a defensive first team where defense fuels transition and you get the Jalen's or the Jason's out in, you know, running more um, triggered by their defense, then I think this is a perfect catalyst. I think it is identity. It feels like it gives them identity more than anything. And then they wouldn't, they wouldn't double down and just to make sure of it, <laughs> Stevens went and sent Schroeder to wherever he sent him to bring <laughs> so back Daniel freaking, Daniel freaking Tice. 
They sent, they well, they salary dumped twice last year and then bought him back this year in a different salary dump. So they can salary dump Al Horford. And I think that's <laughs> what it means. Is that, but just think about Dennis Schroeder went from nearly winning a, you know, thinking he was on a title team, going to get the bag, playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis. He's now backing up Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. Oh, he'll probably be bought out. So, look, I'm rooting for Schroeder. I, I think it's big. I feel sorry for when a player gets screwed. I don't know if he's the agent or he he bet, bet him bet on himself, but uh, he he certainly if he bet on himself, does it come up snake eyes? Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, it, yeah, it hasn't worked out well. But I mean, again, it goes back to does to the you know if the Celtics sit there and go, we need another starter to to put with with Jalen and Tatum, you know, it's, it's nice to sort of say that, but it's got to be the right type of star too. And you've got to get the jigsaw pieces right together. And clearly, um, you know, Kyrie wasn't the right piece to put with this team. Schroeder certainly wasn't the right piece. I think Haywood, it's always going to be a what if with, with Gordon Haywood because of the health issues. Um, but Derek White fits with this team. And uh, I'm not sure what their ceiling is going to be with that, but I think they're going to, I just think they all seem like they're on the same page. And to your point, they've got a real identity now. So there's certainly a term to watch, I think, post-All-Star break, see if they can keep this run going and maybe move up the standings a little bit uh, and maybe even make some noise in the playoffs. As I know you'd love to see the Celtics make another run um, through the Eastern Conference. Uh, well, if it, allows me, if, it, if it allows me not to talk about Ben Simmons or Kyrie Irving, <laughs> yeah, bring, bring it on. <laughs> Well, another quick couple of quick moves uh, as well in the, in the Eastern Conference. So the Cavs, they bought in uh, Karis LeVert uh, from Indiana. And I, I've watched, uh, I watched the Cavs eviscerate the Spurs uh, in, in LeVert's first game. And LeVert looked good. I mean, again, it, it looks like a piece that fits within that lineup. Um, although the Cavs have been playing a little bit up and down lately, part of that's been that Garland's been out. Garland came back against the Spurs and shot 15 of 17 from the field, Daz, for a point guard. 15 of 17. He was unbelievable. Uh, he, is a, he is a bona fide star right now. Uh, Garland, I'm not sure what Garland's ceiling is. I don't know what Mobley's ceiling is in Cleveland, but they must be just giggling uh, at, at how good that team looks. They are set. I mean, them and the Grizzlies, Daz, they're just so well set for the next five years. It's going to be fascinating to see uh, how those two teams develop. And I'll, I'll be stunned if we don't at least see both of those teams in the conference finals at some stage within the next five years. What do you think, though, of, of the Levert deal uh, for Cleveland? Well, I, I love, I've loved Garland. I don't know. There's something I saw, I think I've told you maybe on the last pod where. Um, I'm kind of good Twitter friends with the guy and one of the Cleveland sort of blogospheres and said, give me your hot take. This is two years ago. And I said, you know, Garland's going to be better than Sexton. And I got sort of laughed off the, the Twitterverse. And I don't know, he just looks like a point guard. He acts like a point guard. He looks like a floor general. He looks like he makes good decisions. So uh, answering the Levert question is that, like if he can just slide in and and just kind of be quiet and, not disrupt what they have and take shots within their system and not, you know, keep the ball moving and just play a role and not try to be the man, then I think it'll be fine. But I think Karis thinks he wants to be the man and score 20 points a game. 
and he's never kind of healthy. He's not a terrific spot-up shooter. That's my, I don't like it. I really don't like it, Daz. I don't like his fit. Like, I know they needed the two, but. Oh, I think they need another wing. I mean, I I think they've got a core out there. I think he can sort of play the two or the three. Um, And, you know, look, he he looked good the first game. I think it's always going to run through Garland anyway. And Garland, I mean, that 15 to 17, that showed his more about his decision making than anything else. Like if if the Spurs gave him the shot, he took the shot and he was scoring. If they come and doubled him or the shots weren't there, he was distributing elsewhere. And you know, it was a fairly seamless fit, albeit for one game. Let's see Levert. But I do take your point. I think in when you get into some close games, is Levert going to try and shoot them out of it? Um, from time to time, and he's got to sort of understand where he's in the pecking order of that team. Um, but you know, bigger staff, I guess, can can make the move um, and sort of um, you know mm. bench him or you know go with a with a um, with with Wade or go with um, a Cora, whoever it might be, down the stretch of those games. Um, so he's got plenty of options. It gives him another option. And we did ask, you know, would the Cavs trade in one of their one of their draft picks to try and get a little bit better this year, see if they can make a run. Well, I think we've, we've seen the answer to that. My biggest question with Levert is just can't seem to start on the court. So that, that's my biggest worry with Karis Levert. When, when you get the right Karis Levert games, he looks fantastic. But there's other games where you hardly know he's on the court. And then there's obviously other games where he's not, not on the court at all because he's injured. So... I'm not sure it's going to be the right player. I'm not, I don't think we're going to be looking back and saying, thank goodness they made that move toward the end of the year. But I thought it was a fairly low risk move for a, you know, for a first round pick that's going to be in the twenties and they would hope in the sort of mid, mid to high twenties, potentially depending on where they end up in the Eastern conference. Uh, although, as I said, they haven't been quite playing as well. They've been a little bit up and down in their form recently so I'll be interested to see a young team whether they hit the wall because Memphis sort of hit the wall a little bit last year uh, as well and that's why they ended up in that, that playing game they were a little bit up and down through the year I don't think the Cleveland will fall that far down into the playing sort of area but um, they may not be able to keep up the pace to, to get into that top four uh, given what we're seeing you know Chicago sort of treading water a little bit as well but Miami I think are, are rising and as we've spoken about Boston they're coming through as well um, last team to talk about in the Eastern Conference is just quickly on on Toronto we've talked about Thad Young a few times they traded the I, I they traded the first round pick for Thad Young, but they also got Detroit's second round pick, which is as close to a first round pick as as you can get. So it was it was an interesting trade. They probably you know they moved them depending on where they finish up. They probably lost twelve spots or something in the draft that they give to the Spurs. And Thad Young gives them a, a decent uh, small ball center. Not sure it's exactly what Toronto needed. To be honest, I think they needed more of a, a, a proper big. Um, they've been out rebounded in some key games. Uh, I saw them today uh, in a close game at home that they lost um, as well. I'm trying to think who they actually played today, Daz, which I can't off the top of my head, but it was one of the one of the better teams in the NBA, and um, they couldn't get a rebound down the stretch uh, today, and ended up ended up uh, falling in a close one. So I don't think you know Boucher is is going to be quite the right sort of player 
Um, and I think it's is it Kongwu, uh, the other the other center that they've got. Neither of them are quite physical enough um, to get the rebounds when you're coming up against the likes of the Embiid's and the and the Yarnesses. and even the way Miami play and, and crash the boards at times. Uh, I think that's where they're going to find it very difficult. Yeah, look, that's um, you're talking Toronto, right? They they lost to Denver today. It looks like 110, 110, 109. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Um, what, what, um, I mean, I will say will... this too Siakam's been on a tear, um, in the, in the last sort of few weeks. I've got Siakam in fantasy and I've got, he's putting up eye popping numbers. Um, but he always seems to look very inefficient when I actually watch him. Um, but they've got, they've got a sort of nice small ball sort of unit, but I just I, I worry they're going to lean on that small ball a little bit too much. And you do need times when you need a bigger guy um, to show some physicality, particularly in the Eastern Conference with some of the teams they're going to be coming up against. Yeah, so I think he's going to get run, isn't he? Um, you're talking oh, sad young, right? That's where almost certainly. I mean, you don't give up a first round. Yeah, for sure. On the end of the bench. And look, he played yeah. well in the times that he played with the Spurs, and he was Did excellent. Did he get many minutes? Here? The, yeah. Early on many in the season, you got a little bit. Yeah. And I mentioned to you, I said, I've, I've watched the Spurs now for the best part of, you know, since 989. So over long, that goes back. And I and Popovich, obviously, since the late 90s as well. And I've never seen Pop go on the court while plays on and give a guy a high five. And he did that to Thad Young because he was lo- he loved Thad Young that much um, in the little bits of minutes. But it became very clear, obviously, for the Spurs that you know, they're not going to be in the playoff picture. So once they sort of very quickly fell out of that, it was like, let's play the young guys. Thad Young gets pushed down the bench um, pretty quickly there. But they, they, I think, said, look, we'll either find you a trade before the deadline or we'll buy you out after the deadline. Uh, and, and obviously he's ended up. So he's going to be fresh. He played well for Chicago last year. The little bit of run, he looked good for the Spurs this year. So he'll certainly play uh, in in, uh, in Toronto, but I'm just not... I think they needed either another move in addition to this one um, that maybe they didn't do on that. They were sniffing around Purdle as well, but uh, the Spurs are asking a little bit too much for Purdle at this stage. Yeah, look, if nothing else, man, that is going to be one pain in the ass team to get out, you know, of the, you know, just because they're going to be, they're going to be in every game, right? Because for every game they get out-rebounded, you know, they're probably going to be able to out-shoot you, out-hustle you, right? Out-work you, out-switch you at the same time. It's going to be freaking annoying. Like I said, you know, the veiled, the veiled, not so veiled disdain of a potential opponent and it already looks like be a brutally, just sort of a, uh, really solid Eastern conference mm-hmm. and just give me no, there's no easy outs, whether you're talking Boston or Brooklyn or, or Chicago or, or Toronto, or, you know, it's just, there's going to be no easy outs Daz. So um, yeah, tip of the hat to that, that franchise as much as I don't want to tip my hat to that franchise, but that is a, that is going to be one pain in the ass team to eliminate and, and need credit to them as well. Well, for, you know, being from, move on from you know Demar, move on from Kawhi, you know to lose you know lose players like that and um you know and pretty quickly retool this move on move on from Lowry and you know I think clearly this Gary Trent um, trade has worked out really well for them. That guy has been he's on my fantasy team, so I've you know couldn't help but watch him. Forty two against Auburn against Houston, so against the G League opponent, but still yeah. I think he had a run, Des. I think he had five games in a row over thirty points, which is 
you know, when you've got Van Vliet and Siakam and OG and Barnes and you get your kind of your fourth or fifth best player can go for 30 on five consecutive nights, you know, you've got yourself an asset, right? Um, Kem Birch can kind of, you know, come in and throw his body around a bit, you know, and so I think Thad's a great addition to that freaking annoying team. I already just, I get a sense of the box are going to, I just have a feeling that they won this title on this unbelievable run. I just have a feeling they're going to get ground to a pulp by Miami or Toronto this year or freaking Boston. I just, I just can feel it there as it'd be karmic. You know, well, the, I think Toronto, 50- Cleveland would be an interesting first round because Cleveland are going all bigs and uh, Toronto are going to have these sort of small ball lines. Yeah. Throwing yeah. So that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the Eastern Conference is going to be so much more interesting, I think, the, the players. I mean, I, th- I still think the West might be a little bit better at the t- tippy top with Golden State than, than Phoenix. But one through eight, even one through 10 in the Eastern Conference is going to be so entertaining and it's going to be flipping the coin stuff um, for most of these teams um, in that conference. So, Daz, quickly on my Spurs, the Spurs uh, made four trades this year, Daz. They never make in-season trades. But, look, you don't make in-season trades when you have the stability that they had for so many years. Obviously, I always say you've got to know where you're at. The Spurs know exactly where they're at with this team. Um, They've got three draft picks now in a pretty deep, draft next year, whether they use some of that to move up or make some other moves, we'll see. But I thought it was a really nice trade deadline. They've won their two games after that as well, so they're going to give Devin Vassell a bit more run. Uh, he's looked good uh, in the two games. I actually picked him up in fantasy today, Daz, so um, he's won the watch for the rest of the season. And DeJounte Murray got in the All-Star game, so there's something that the Spurs... I'm, I'm interested in the All-Star game again now, Daz. Uh, the Spurs have got a player in there, and um, DeJounte's put up numbers. He's actually yeah. shooting the three the last couple of games for whatever reason. He started shooting threes. He hasn't been shooting them that much um, across the year. And it's sort of, I think he's been putting up numbers just as a case that there's no one else there. But the, the last two games, he scored 30, 30 plus points um, and not didn't quite get the triple-double today. They got the triple-double, but look, triple-doubles are overrated anyway. But they're, they're proper sort of numbers that he's putting up. Um, he's not just sort of, you know, grabbing those cheap rebounds off free throws like some people do in Dallas. Um, so, <laughs> so Daz, what I mean, what did you just, make of the, the Spurs moves? Because as I said, like, you've got to know where you're at. It feels like this team, they're just all moving in the right sort of direction as an organisation. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone understands what's happening and where they're at and what their timeline is. Yeah, look, it's an acknowledgement that I think they know they don't have nearly enough talent to even compete, you know, for like that six, seven seed, you know, there's, and there's no point competing for eight, nine, 10 seeds in San Antonio. So it's nice to see them acknowledge that. And I'm sure you, as a Spurs fan, I think you've got to be feeling pretty good that, that DeJunte Murray is a, a deserving all-star, right? He's a, technically a replacement, but a very deserving all-star this year and boy in a year of first-time all-stars Daz, think about four first-time all-stars this year John Morant DeJounte Murray LaMelo Ball and Darius Garland I think Garland also got the replacement well uh, Van Vliet's the first time as well fat fucker um (laughs) yeah um flash in the pan Uh, outlier um but yeah so um pretty exciting to have there's all of a sudden the the young point guards, yeah, including Fred Van Vliet, yeah. um, five first-time All-Stars all basically play the point 
mm-hmm. and leading their teams. And I think that, that's my meta takeaway is that you've got clearly a handover plan happening here with Pop. When you're going and acquiring, you know, two or three picks they've got, you know, I think in these trades, um, yeah, two first rounders and yeah, two first rounds plus a potential yeah. pick swap in 2028, top one for yeah, yeah. Celtics, which like that's a, a nice few bites of the apple. Yep. You know, and so I think, look, this team is going to be, it's got DeJunte and you'll have your kind of your poor man's end with Pirtle in the middle. And we got a, a defensive minded Murray and a defensive minded Pirtle. And you just, maybe you'll get something out of Keldon, you know, maybe he'll pop, maybe Vassell will pop. Um, but it's, it's a little bit of, I think Lonnie, the, the sort of the ship sailed on Lonnie's time, isn't it, Daz? But so mm. maybe still got um, Vassell or, or um, Keldon to provide you some. Well, Keldon's shooting 46% from three this year. So he's, and he was the number three, I think, last time I checked a uh, three-point shooter in the league. So he's, he's improved that part of his game, but doesn't probably finish around the rim as well as he could. Um, so there's other things he still needs to work on, but he, his game's taken a step forward. And, and as I said, Vassell, I think, is a guy to watch after the All-Star break uh, for San Antonio. Yeah, I think... Yeah, that's right. So I think Keldon, you've got to be really happy. He looks really rugged and durable. I, I don't know, but he, does he even miss? Does he ever miss a game, Daz? Like, the guy is always, he's always there. He's handled, um, you know, a bit of scaling. You know, his usage is up. His field goal attempts are up, right? His three-point attempts and percentage is up. So, you know, he's only averaging 15 points a game. But you could see if this guy could scale it again, you know, by his age 24, 25 season, if he can go from, 12 to 18 field goal attempts per game because that does he have it in him to shoot it 18 19 times we'll see then you guys you might have yourself kind of like a low-end i don't say all-star but you know he might be that could become a top 50 player in the league and then you know take some you know take some shots with your picks yeah I think you yeah. got to be feeling pretty I, good. I think the reality is the Spurs are probably going to pick top five next couple of years and, and you hope you get your star there. Um, and maybe yeah. one of these yeah. other guys that's already on the roster pops. Um, and, and Vassell, everyone, I, th- I think Murray sort of is what he is and is a very good player. Um, but, you know, all-star level is probably where he's going to peak out, whereas they may be hoping that Primo or, or Vassell sort of push even on beyond that. And I think Kelton Johnson, probably all-star, would be the best you'd see out of him as well. But these other guys, they'd be hoping, I think, all-NBA-level uh, talent um, from there. And obviously, wh- who you get in the drafts with some of these top picks that they're going to get in the next couple of years. So, um, so look, I was happy with what the Spurs did, but I don't think we'll be talking about them too much more, um, what they do on the court uh, for the rest of the season. And then it'll be um, way for the draft lottery to come and, and start watching some college hoops, Daz. Um, quickly, want to touch on the, the last uh, trade I want to touch on is the Sacramento-Indiana trade, Daz. And I want to defend the Kings a little bit. So the, the trade was essentially Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Buddy Heald for DeMontis Sabonis. And I kind of, I, I just thought, you know, NBA Twitter melted down and just absolutely crueled the Kings. And on first thought, I thought, I went, oh, I really like Halliburton. And then I sort of looked at it and thought, well, is Halliburton, is he really a better player than Sabanis? And he probably is a slightly better player, but they also get off that Buddy Hill contract. And Hill at this stage is a negative value uh, overall, even though I still think Buddy Hill in the right situation could be a positive for an NBA team. Um, so I, I didn't, I look, I didn't love the trade. And if I had to grade it, I think I'd grade Indiana a little bit higher. But I just thought, 
Sacramento have looked at it. They've got Tobias, who's 25. They've got Davion Mitchell, who's 24. They've got Darren Fox, who's 25. Harrison Barnes is, I think, what, 27, 28. He's not that old either. I just think they thought, let's get some guys in their primes on the same time for Abel, and let's go for the, the playoffs for a few years. Um, yeah, because they just didn't have the stomach to go, let's tear it all down. And what are you going to do? Rebuild around Tyrus Halliburton? That's not going to get you anywhere anyway. So I didn't mind the move for the Kings. I, I mean, I wasn't as low on it as other people were. And I get it from Indiana's point of view. They needed to sort of tack in a different direction from where that franchise was going because it hasn't sort of worked out um, with Turner and Sabonis, et cetera. And I actually still think Turner could move on as well in the offseason if they really want to tear it down. But what did you sort of make of it? I mean, were you with me that, that, that there was a bit of an overreaction in just sort of piling on the Kings after this trade and it's maybe not as bad as what people made it out to be? Well, yes and no. The I mean, big, Halliburton's not, uh, Halliburton big, is not a, a, an all-NBA-level talent. I don't think he'll ever will. Uh, two, two points here is that um, yes and no. So they needed to obviously clear up this talent they had, like the Heald, Fox, Halliburton, Mitchell, their four best players are you know, all very small backcourt players, right? So they needed to probably do something. That's my starting point. Secondly, um, I think they probably put a rightly high asking price on Harrison Barnes, probably at two firsts. And like, he should be at least getting what Robert Covington got two years ago. And I think they put a really high price tag on him and couldn't get it. Um, thirdly, so, and so I, I can see the logic of moving him. What I don't like, Daz, is that what you could see by the reaction was that there were teams who had no idea Halliburton was on the block. And so that's why I think another mismanagement of assets here, Daz, mm. is if these if these Muppets, because this all was 100% driven by Indy and they're gloating about it, right? They said, we had to push and we had to push and we had to push and we had to call and we had to do all the maneuvering here to make this happen to clear that he wasn't going to be traded, but we just pushed and pushed and kept at it and, you know, finally got it to, to, to come loose. And I think that what probably happened is the Buddy Heald contract is at best kind of a marginally undervalued at worst. That's a very undervet. It's a negative contract, right? He's paid a lot of money to do what he does, which is not very much a spot up shoot. So that for me is the, just the critical mismanagement of, of the asset here is if, if you're willing to kind of to signal that you're going to open bidding on a clearly a talented glue guy, like he can play, Tyrese Halliburton can play on the Bucks. Tyrese Halliburton can play on the Heat. Tyrese Halliburton could play on the Suns, Daz. That's why this is a critical miss by them, Daz. Demonis who Sabonis, else could they have gotten? I mean, what, what, what? You know, theoretical world are they getting a player? I'm saying we don't know. I'm saying you don't, what, you, I'm not. You don't but know. I just look around and think maybe they did their due diligence and said, I don't think we're going to get a better offer than this anywhere else anyway. Uh, so, so Sacramento's not known for their due diligence. Well, neither is Phoenix, and, though. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of when everyone trashed Phoenix for taking Cam Johnson, including we had a bit of a laugh about it, the draft picks that we are. Um, and that's turned out to be a fantastic pick. And now everyone sort of looks at Phoenix as a, as a really uh, good front office and a solid and, a, and a, you know, a stable franchise where they were laughing stock for so many years. So I think, you, you know, I, I actually like a front office and I think they've made a bet here. And they basically yeah. said, we think the Aaron Fox 
is going to continue to develop and they may be wrong and I think they probably will be wrong. But at least they've said, let's back the Aaron Fox, let's get well, players that are on his timetable and let's see where this team can take us. Yeah. Does I'm I'm gonna have to go because I'm I, what I, I'm sorry I'm gonna have to run but my what I will say my final thought is that this was also obviously done in sequence right they knew they were they needed to move on from Bagley they found a home for Bagley they liked Dante Divincenzo they wanted him last time he's mm-hmm. another kind of a glue guy he can kind of shoot he can kind of play make he can kind of defend he can he can play the one or the two he can kind of play with the bench he's a good glue guy he's a good NBA player and so. What they did was get Sabonis in, bring in Dante. He'll be a nice kind of, you know, 25-minute guy. He came to be kind of Tyrese light or Tyrese different. And he probably a Tyrese, but a defensive-minded Tyrese rather than perhaps the offensive-minded way that he is, but a super good glue guy. And what they've done is make themselves a, now they have a pretty clear roster, right? They've got clear 5-4, still probably a gap at a 3, but they got much clearer roster shape and roster size than they did beforehand got rid of Bagley, got a borderline all-star in Sabonis. He could probably, what you will say about Sabonis, it's going to be stability for them, right? That's kind of your floor raise. He'll get you 20 and 12 for the next five seasons. You can probably pencil that in. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They're still going to be so bad. They're going to have probably good, good, good draft picks. So I, I do see the logic. I just think if they'd opened up bidding on Tyrese, you have to, you just don't know what you can get if you open up bidding. You know, you're probably getting more than, than, than a, you know, a white center who can't shoot, you know, uh, kind of a, a good one, but kind of a classic five, you know, and Sabonis, who's not really a very good defender either, Daz. So that's what's just so right. strange. The Sabonis has obvious flaws, but heck of a floor raiser. He's a good dude, plays hard, almost never gets hurt, right? So, um, but it, so it looked like a grown-up move. I just think, man, if you open up the bidding and say, hey, you know, it's, doors are open. I think you just—it'd be interesting to see what they could have got. But well, we'll never know. O, we'll never know. Two and O since the trade. So look, I'll let you go. We will. We'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. deal with New Orleans next time because I hated what they did, and I know you had some strong thoughts as well um, to, to sort of yeah. them under the bus. But uh, we'll we'll leave it for there for now, and we'll sort of see uh, this time next week. We'll, we'll be in the All Star break, so at least we can we can sort of take another breath, see how some of these players uh, map out in the next couple of games. Uh, and then get ready for the run home. Good stuff, pal. We can't wait to talk pels. <laughs> pels and blazers. Right. Yes. Oh, my. <laughs> All right. Thanks, mate. We'll talk again next week. Took the charge, and there was no foul call.